Well, if you have a, a Bible there with you, if you want to turn to Mark's Gospel, second book of, of the New Testament, Mark chapter 4. We're looking at a short passage. We just looked at the, the parable of the sower last Sunday, and we are up to verse 25. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. And I'll ask, if you're able to do so, that you stand for the reading of God's word out of respect for the word of God this morning. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Give ear to the reading of God's holy word this morning. It says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, uh, some of you weren't here last week, but if you, if you weren't, I'll catch you up a little bit. Last Sunday we looked at the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils, depending on how you feel like titling that, back in verses 1 through 20 of Mark chapter 4. Uh, it's a very well-known, maybe the most well-known parable uh, for some of us of, of, that Jesus Christ our Lord has taught. Um, uh, after that sermon, uh, both on Sunday and a different day later in the week, I had at least a couple people approach me and say that they thought it was going to be a two-part sermon. And I don't think it was because it was extra long or anything like that, but uh, in some ways it probably should have or could have been. If I, if I had thought it through, I would have done a sermon on each one of the soils, but that might have taken quite a while uh, to do. But uh, it was a little bit of a longer text. Today's text is five verses. That one was, was 20. And there were a lot of things in that text that we probably could or maybe even should have expanded upon in some more detail. You know, we could have spent a little bit more time on each one of those uh, kinds of soil. Remember those soils, if you weren't here, Jesus talks about a sower went out to sow. And he's, we don't use the word sow like that, but planting seeds. But the way he's planting seeds was like, uh, the, the word is like broadcast. He's kind of throwing the seed on top of the ground. And there were four different kinds of soil. And the four different kinds of soil reacted to that seed or received that seed in different ways. But only one of those kinds of soil, the good soil, bore fruit. And Jesus explained that parable for us later on in that chapter as each soil represented a kind of person who heard the word and, and how, how they responded to the word of God being preached and taught to them. And three, three of those soils didn't bear fruit. Three of the four bore bore no fruit. Only the, only the good soil bore fruit when the seed of the word of God was, was sown. And there's a lot of things you can say about that parable, a lot of points. You know, they say sometimes that parables have one point, and that's, that's generally true. Uh, one thing for sure was clear in that parable, and I think it's going to be clear from our text this morning, is that it's not merely uh, enough. It's not enough to merely hear or listen to the word of God. You know, what you're doing right now, sitting in a, in a place of worship in a, in, a, in a Christian church on a Sunday morning, used to be a lot more common than it is now. And, and what you're, in some ways, what you're doing right now is, is kind of exceptional in that, you're, you know, most of your neighbors 
probably aren't doing what you're doing right now. They're not listening to the word of God being preached or taught. But it's too easy for us, I think, knowing that, to kind of stop there and be content with, well, at least I'm hearing the preaching of the word. You know, or, or we might, uh, depending on, on, on how you are, you, you know, we, we sometimes can content ourselves with, well, we're hearing the word of God taught rightly, and I trust that that's the case this morning and every Sunday in this church, knowing that in many places it's not the case. You know, I used to tell my old youth group years ago, uh, you know, that even in, up in the high desert, it seemed like there was a church on every corner. Like where I grew up, there almost was. Little little town in Pennsylvania, every other corner there was a church. Sometimes we, we had churches like you have Starbucks now. One on this corner, one across the street on that corner, you know, everywhere. You, you don't even have to cross the street to, to hit a church. But I remember telling them, you know, you, you can't just throw a rock. Not that you would do that, but you, you can't just throw a rock. You might hit a church, but you're not going to hit a church per, you know, probably where the word of God is actually believed and taught and preached in sincerity and truth. And while it's important to be at a church where that's the case, where, where the word is being taught in sincerity and truth, and the word of God is believed and upheld and held forth, that's not enough. We should never come to a point where, you, where, we, where we're content with, well, I'm hearing the word of God, end of story, and that's, that's sufficient. The parable of the sower tells us it's not sufficient. It's a good start. There's nobody in the parable of the sower who wasn't hearing the word. The parable of the sower isn't so much for those out there as it is for those of us in here, as, as the word of God really always, always is. So that the parable taught us that there's a way of hearing the preaching and teaching of the word of God that's actually, I don't know how else to say it, it's in vain. It's in vain. It produces no fruit, no good fruit, no effect. And it would seem from that parable that there are, just as there were, many people who fit that description today. The parable of the sower isn't just for the first century during Jesus' time and place. It's for all times in all places. And so we shouldn't make the mistake of being content that we hear the preaching of the word, uh, even while many or most probably don't do so. Um, again, the parable of the sower, everyone in view in the parable is people who hears, who hear the word of God. And the only one that bears fruit, the only one that has evidence of a true and living faith in Christ and belief in his word are the ones that bear fruit. That's kind of the point of that of that parable. Well, our passage, our much shorter passage this morning in verses 21 through 25, uh, if, you, if you thought last week should have been a two-part sermon, well, here's part two. Because this passage is a follow-up. Jesus didn't change the subject yet. He's really expanding on the same subject and subjects, the themes that you found back in that parable of the sower. And he even expands upon, he doesn't quote it again, but he even expands upon things that were mentioned in that quotation from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Once again, <clears throat> what do we hear in our text? It says that Jesus is teaching us something about how we hear the word of God. Again, we're still on the same subject. How do you hear the word of God? Back in that parable of the sower, if you were here, you know that Jesus, when he, what he does in that passage before these verses is he tells the parable and then he explains the parable. And when he tells the parable, he kind of bookends it with calls to listen, doesn't he? We saw that last, last time in, in Mark 4, verse 3. He says, listen, or behold, depending on your translation. Listen, 
you know, it, it sounds redundant. It sounds like, why aren't they listening to him? Aren't they there gathered just to hear him preach? But he tells them, listen, it's like, pay attention. And then what does he say right after completing the telling of the parable itself? In verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. Listen, and if you have ears to hear, which wasn't meant to be redundant, hear, hear what I'm actually saying. It's not just the, the surface meaning in some sense of those words of the parable. Well, here in our text, you'll notice in verse 23, what does Jesus say again? Slightly different wording and way of putting it, but it's the same exact thing that he's saying. Verse 23 in our text, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. I think that should get our attention. You know, when the Bible repeats something, Two or three times, especially in a short, in short order, it should grab our attention. Jesus not only hasn't changed the subject, but in these first 25 verses of Mark chapter 4, uh, he's, he's on the same subject. He's telling us to be careful how we hear. And he says it three times in case we missed, missed the point. Well, here in our, our text, these brief five verses, Jesus emphasizes those same points in a kind of a different way. He doesn't give one long parable. What he does is he gives a series of what you might think of as mini parables. Or, or even, it, it kind of sounds like something out of the book of Proverbs, doesn't it? If you ever read through the book of Proverbs, sometimes it can feel like it's you know, just random, disconnected things. A lot of times the same things, the same phrases are repeated over and over again in different places in the book. And to our eyes, sometimes it seems random. It really isn't random, but it takes eyes to see that too. Well, um, Jesus sounds like he's talking out of the Proverbs here, giving us new Proverbs. He says in verses 21 to 22, Mark writes, He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, it, it shouldn't really surprise us that the Lord commonly used short, pithy, memorable sayings, you know, sound bites, uh, so to speak, like that. If you think about who he is and who he was, he's the son of David. That's one of his, one of his titles. He's the one greater than Solomon. Now, Solomon was David's son, but he wasn't the son of David. He wasn't the one that was prophesied in the Davidic covenant. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42... Jesus speaks these following words to the Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees and scribes heard his teaching. They seemed to follow him around. It wasn't because they really wanted to hear him, but they heard him teach, but they refused to come to him to have life. And in this text, Matthew 12, they were demanding a sign from him. The, the teaching wasn't enough. It's like they, they, they were kind of saying, in effect, you know, prove that we should listen to you. Prove that we should pay attention to a thing you say, that you are some important person, that you might even be the Messiah. You claim to be the Messiah, show it. Put your money where your mouth is. And this is what he says in Matthew 12:42. He says to them, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Or another way that King James puts it, a greater than Solomon is here. Not something, it's someone. Jesus is saying, Solomon. I mean, Solomon was what? If you think of the, of the, the kingdom of Israel, 
Um, you, you might think that David was kind of the peak, but it was really Solomon. It was under Solomon the temple was built. And Solomon was really the last, as hard as it is to think of, he was the last king of the United Kingdom, not, not Britain, but of the United Kingdom of Israel, when all the tribes were all under one king before the divided, divided kingdom. And Jesus, this seemingly insignificant-looking man that, that people were following around, tells the Pharisees and scribes, basically, the one you're looking at is greater than Solomon. You can imagine what they must have, the look on their faces might have been when he told them that. Like, he didn't, it's almost like he didn't downplay, we might think, you know, when, 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 the, dangerous, uh, when the danger was high, we would kind of downplay everything and, oh, you know, you know no, don't misunderstand. No, he, he told them even more than what they didn't want to hear, that he's one greater than Solomon. Well, Jesus is the one greater than Solomon in all of Solomon's glory. He's the ultimate teacher of the Proverbs. He's the one whose wisdom makes even Solomon's great wisdom pale in comparison. And, and, and so when he says these things you know, multiple times, it shouldn't surprise us when he talks in what look like Proverbs. It shouldn't really surprise us. When he repeats the same things in the scriptures, it shouldn't surprise us. You might know that he teaches the same things in different places in the Gospels and in different settings. Every time you see the same phrase, it isn't meant to be understood as, well, that must be referring to the same thing in the exact same place and time into the exact same crowd uh, that he does in the other Gospels. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, different, different context. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, this is what he says. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people, put a light, uh, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Same parable. Same proverb-like uh, you know, phrases, different sermon, different point, maybe a related point, but a different essential point uh, is, being, is being made. Different application is being made. Our text, sometimes when we hear the same phrase, we think oh, it must be the exact same thing, and so we read our text and we say, the point of our text must be, let your light so shine before men. Well, that might be a sub-application, but it's not the application Jesus makes in our text, is it? So Jesus, just like the real preacher of the Proverbs, uses the same phrases and applies them in different ways throughout, throughout uh, his, his teaching ministry. Well, let's look at the, the lamp on a lampstand in verse, verses 21 and 22. Verse 21, Jesus asks a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious in, in the question, right? He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a bushel or a peck measure? or under a bed and not on a stand. Now, you know, in, the, in that, that parable of the sower, sometimes commentators and preachers, we get caught up in details that really aren't meant to be caught up in. Like we say, we, we make the parable of sower about farming. And we say, well, you know, that back in those days, that's what the farmer would do. He'd take his bag of seed, which they did, and he would scatter it, you know, oh, there's the road, and scatter some over there, and there's rocky soil, I'll scatter it there. And, you know, if he knew it was a bad place, he wouldn't sow the seed there, right? It's not a parable to teaching careless farming habits. Well, in, in the same way, we shouldn't look at this passage and say, oh, well, you know, in the first century in Israel, well, people used to put lamps, you know, under, under a basket, 
there was a reason. No, the, the point is, you would never do that. You, you would never put a lamp under a basket or a bushel. You certainly wouldn't put a lamp underneath a bed or, or a couch, whatever it may have been he was referring to. What he's saying is the exact opposite. He's painting a picture that's meant to be thought of as kind of ridiculous. There's no way you would do that. Who would do that? Nobody would put a lamp under, under a bucket. You know, it, it wouldn't make any sense. It, it sounds dangerous. You'd start a fire that way. Their, their lamps weren't like ours. They were fire. They were candles. They were, they were actual lamps that burned. You, know, you could start a fire putting a lamp under a bucket or under your bed. You know, it would be a bad place to put a fire. And it, it's, it's supposed to sound ridiculous. It's supposed to sound like something no one would possibly ever, ever do. Nobody in their right mind would do this, right? That's what his, his crowd was supposed to be thinking to themselves. You know, in our light, you know, we don't use candles much for, for actual for light. We use them for ambiance. They used to actually have to use them for light. Uh, to put it in our own way of thinking, you know, do you turn the lights on in a room? Our house, the lights are always on. My job is to kill spiders and turn lights off. The kids seem to go through the house and turn all the lights on, and I turn them, I turn them off. But no one, no one goes through the house, turns on the lights in the room, and then covers them with a blanket. You, know, you don't turn the lamp on and then, okay, give me something to cover this. So I can put this light out, this light. We don't want anybody to see it. You, know, you, don't, you don't turn the lights on and then get a can of black spray paint and paint over the bulbs. It, why would you even bother turning the light on? You just, wouldn't, you just wouldn't do it. You turn the lights on so you can see. But you should turn the lights off when you leave the room, Benjamin. Um, yeah, you, want, you want people to be able to see. And what do you do with the light? You know, if I have a lamp, I don't put it under the desk. I put it where it's going to give us the most light. You put it up high. You put it where it can be noticed, where it can give light. And that's, that's kind of the real point Jesus is making here, is that a great many people would never dream of doing such a thing in real life when it comes to an actual lamp or an actual light, but a great many people are doing exactly as ridiculous as it looks. They're doing exactly that when it comes to a much greater light. The thing you would never dream of doing in your normal everyday life, people do with the greater light all, all the time. Jesus himself is that light. His word uh, in his preaching and teaching is that light. John chapter 1 verses 9 to 13 says this of Jesus, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus is that light. And that's what he's talking about here in our, in our text as well. Elsewhere in, in John's Gospel, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Not a light among many, not, you know. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the lamp that he speaks of in our text. But the response that many people have to hearing the word of Christ is a lot of times very much like putting a lamp under a bushel or under a, under a basket. To hear the word of Christ without believing in him is to remain in darkness. It's to put a candle under a bushel. To hear of Christ without following him is to continue to walk in darkness. To not bear fruit in faith, holiness, and making Christ known is to walk around at noon with your eyes shut. 
and your hands across your eyes. There's plenty of light. You just don't want to see it is how that looks. And Jesus came to bring light. It's really what he's saying in our text. The light's here. I didn't come to hide the light. If I wanted to hide the light, I wouldn't have come at all. He came to bring light. And he he adds another proverb-like saying in verse 22. He says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Nothing, Nothing good, at least, nothing good is hidden for the purpose of remaining hidden forever. You know, if you get something nice for, for a loved one, and if you're able to keep a secret, not everybody can, you know, you keep a secret because you don't, you want to spring it on them later. You want to tell, you want to make the suspense build up and then show them. You don't buy them a gift, hide it, and, well, I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah, I'm not going to show it to you. It's supposed to stay secret. That's what Jesus, this is another proverb-like, parable-like saying. Nothing is hidden except to be made made manifest. Um, Jesus himself, in one sense, was hidden and also revealed also in the prophecies, types, and shadows of the Old Testament. But he was finally made to be clearly manifest in his incarnation. He came, finally came to light, but people were still rejecting it. And he came so that men would no longer have to stumble around in the dark, but have the light of life. And yet many refused to come to him and have life in his name. They chose rather to continue walking in darkness. Why would anybody do that? When you read your your Bible, the Gospels in particular, do you ever stop and just think, their reaction makes no sense. Like, even when they persecuted him, what did he do wrong? He healed people, he did good, he taught people, he fed people, raised people to life. He never never sinned. He never did one single bad thing in his entire life. He was sinlessly perfect, the only man that ever was. And yet, it seems like when you read your Gospels, people everywhere hated him. Like, crowds followed him, but there were people on every side, scribes, Pharisees, others, that wanted him dead, that plotted his death. In in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, early on in the Gospel we've seen, they plotted his destruction already, his actual death. They weren't just, hey, let's trip him up, it's, let's get rid of this guy. The religious leaders did that. That's, That's unhinged. And that's what Jesus had to deal with. Well, John... 3.19 says this, This is the judgment that light, the light, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They, they 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 didn't just not love the light. They loved the darkness. And why did they love the darkness? Because their works were evil. Now outside of Christ, every one of us, outside of Christ, we love our sin and our works are evil. That's us outside of Christ, every last one. And so what do we do? We scatter like cockroaches when the lights come on. We don't like the light. The light exposes our sin. The Word of God exposes our sin. Outside of Christ, we're dead in sin. We're willfully blind and deaf to the the truth of Christ. And in verse 23, we come to the center of our text. You might notice it's a short little verse, a very short verse. Not that we had numbers in the original original text and things, but, but... You've got these two little proverb-like parable verses before it and two more after it. The center of our text is verse 23. The main point of our text is verse 23. And what does he say there? He says, again, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The text kind of funnels you right to that point and puts it. It's almost like the Bible highlighted itself in that verse, even though it doesn't. I have to do that on my own, uh, myself. But 
You know, that phrase again is found uh, in, the, in the passage earlier, in, in the parable of the sower, back in verse 9. And you might be surprised to know, or you might already know this, that phrase is found all through the Bible, Old and New Testament. It's not just New Testament, it's in the Old Testament as well, or forms, forms of it. In the Synoptic Gospels, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this phrase, almost word for word, basically, is found at least six times. Not just Mark, it's, it's Matthew and Luke as well. And it's also found seven times in the book of Revelation, or a very similar phrase and verse in the book of Revelation. Early in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 through 3, you might know if you've read through that or studied through that, in, that, in those two chapters, there are what we call the seven letters to the seven churches. And each church has different issues. Each church has different temptations and struggles and persecutions and things. And in each one of those churches, at the end of the letter, they're very short, at the end of every one of those letters in chapters 2 and 3, it says this, word for word. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's found seven times once after each letter to those seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, if you think about that, that should be a very large hint about how you and I are to understand the book of Revelation and those letters in the early chapters of that book in particular. Each one of those churches was a real church in Asia Minor. The situations written about in that letter weren't make-believe. They weren't hypothetical. They were real situations. But at the end of each letter, what does it say? He who has an ear to hear, those reading the book of Revelation, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. In other words, the Spirit of God wants us to know, when you read Revelation, when you read those seven letters, those letters apply to us. It wasn't just written for the benefit of those seven churches in Asia Minor. We are to pay attention to what those letters say to the churches and things like that. So that, that phrase is found throughout the Bible, which must mean it's awfully important. It must also mean that you and I, uh, frankly, we tend to not hear. We don't, we don't pay attention as much as we ought to. If Jesus has to over and over again in his word say, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, it's because he knows our weaknesses. He knows that we, we tend to kind of drift off and not really pay full attention to what it is his word is saying, and Jesus repeats his point of application in our text in verse 24 when he says there, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. A more uh, woodenly, kind of clunky, literal way of quoting that would be to say, watch what you hear. The word is look. It's, he's literally saying, look at what you hear. Look to what you, you hear. So again, as it's, over and over again in the first 25 verses of Mark 4, Jesus is telling us, if we have the ears to hear, that hearing is not enough. It's a good start, but it's not enough. And in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, a familiar passage, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face, in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
it's kind of a comical, if it wasn't such a serious thing, the picture he paints there is kind of comical. You, maybe you've known some, maybe you've done this yourself. You know somebody who stands in front of the mirror a little bit too much, primping their hair and whatever else, and they, they never, you know, take, take, take forever in the bathroom. Well, picture somebody doing that but not fixing anything. They spend half an hour checking themselves in the mirror, and their hair is out of place, but they don't fix it. They have something in their teeth, but they don't brush it out. That's, that's what someone's like who spends time in the Word of God and then forgets what he's like, forgets to apply it and, and to do it. And I think that's the same point in some ways uh, that's being, that was made in the parable of the sower in the previous text. To, to not be a doer of the Word is to forget, is to be like that hard soil by the path in the parable of the sower where the birds came and devoured the seed so that nothing grows. And I think the same point's being made in verses 24 and 25 of our text, which can be a little bit of a confusing part of our passage and difficult to understand. But there it says, verse 24 and 25, it says, And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. You know, look at what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You know, more proverb-like like sayings, but I think what he's doing here is he's making the same point. He's just doing it in a, in a slightly different way with a different word picture. The same measure that we use being measured back to us, again, we don't, we don't talk like that, I don't think, in our days, um, you know, I think clearly has to do with paying attention to what we hear. It's connected right to it, isn't it, in, in verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. It's basically for, with the measure you use, It'll be measured to you back in, in, a, in a different gospel. Luke chapter 8, verse 18, a parallel passage, the same basic teaching. Luke, Luke records it this way. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So Luke kind of gives us a little bit more of, a, of an angle on, on what Jesus, I think, is saying there. So it's, in Luke, it's how you hear. And I think that's really what Mark is saying, too, when he, when he has in Jesus' words there, you know, watch what you hear. The whole point of the whole text is watch how you hear. It's not just the content. It's how you, how you understand the content, how you apply and obey and believe that, that content. He's saying the same thing. The one who hears profitably, who has ears to really actually hear the truth of Christ, to that one more will be given. He'll, he'll reveal more to you. You'll still learn more. But to those who have not, even what you have, or as Luke says, think you have, will be taken away. You know, it's, it's a lot like that parable of the sower, isn't it, in parts of it? It's a lot like that reference to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 in the parable of the sower. Uh, his, his exposition there mentions that it quotes it. You know, to continually and willfully see but not perceive, to quote Isaiah there, and hear but not understand, will eventually result in a hardened heart and a closing of the eyes and the ears so that you will not turn, eventually, you will not turn and be forgiven or healed. You know, it's, it's one of those truths, hard truths of, of Scripture, just like it is taught, talked of back in Exodus with Pharaoh, that we are responsible for how we hear the word. God's grace alone can really make us hear. God's grace alone can give us a, take away our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. God's grace alone, His Spirit alone, 
to give us the ears to hear. But at the same time, we are held responsible for how we hear. Pharaoh, at times in, in the book of Exodus, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other times it actually says God, the Lord, hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's both. It's, it's one of those things like Isaiah, I think, says in that text that, that Mark quotes, that Jesus quotes and Mark records for us. In, in some ways, God gives us what we want. If we won't hear the word of God, well, he'll take that word back. He'll, he'll, he'll allow us to harden ourselves. He'll, he'll confirm us in our hardness of heart sometime to the point where everything will sound like a parable. We'll never get the point. We won't believe and have life in his name and turn and be forgiven and healed. May the Lord of Jesus Christ give each of us ears to hear me, give you ears to hear so that you may hear the word of God, believe in Jesus Christ and bear fruit to his glory and so that more will be given and you will continue to grow in the grace of Christ. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us to grope around in the dark to try to figure out on our own who you are, what you are like, what you have done for our salvation through sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, or even what you've done in sending your Spirit now that Christ is at your right hand. We thank you that you've given us your clear word, that every jot and tittle of it is, is clear and it's inspired by you. It's given for a purpose. And we thank you that you have not left us in the dark even to understand it, that you have, you have helped us, you've opened our eyes and opened our ears through the work of your Spirit, that we might be drawn to faith in Christ and have life in his name. Uh, we pray that if anybody here this morning does not yet know you and has not yet turned to Christ to be healed and forgiven, that you might make today the day of their salvation. Open their eyes, that they no longer would be a, just a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of it as well. And the first thing that they do would be to trust in Christ and have life in his name. For we ask in his name and for his glory. Amen.